Good morning, Bethel. Hey, glad to see everyone here this morning. We are in week four of our series on emotions. In the previous weeks, we've talked about anger and fear and disappointment that results in the feeling of failure. Today, we're going to look at another topic. Uh, that is of guilt. That's something I think at some point in our life, every single one of us, we struggle with this feeling of guilt. You know, when I reflect on my life, the, the, as I pull back from a situation, the ones that I have the greatest feelings of guilt is when I'm at a sporting event. I'm a very competitive person. I love if we're going to play a sport, we're going to win. If my kids are playing a sport, I'm going to cheer them on to a victory. And I think some of the biggest, you know, today times that I regret is whenever my kids are playing sports and I really get into it and I'm either yelling at them, get that ball, come on, get it. Or I'm yelling, come on, blue, come on, up, that was not a strike, that was a ball. Whatever that might be. And sometimes it gets a little bit more animated than that. I'm dialing it back for church this morning. But I think afterwards, I step back and the game's over, I'm at home or I'm at Chick-fil-A chilling after the game. I'm like, why did I get so heated? And I start to feel guilty. I'm like, why? Why, was, why did I act like that? You know, I think if we were all true to ourselves and you know, think back to the times we've had guilt, we all react to guilt in different ways. Some people try to, to deny the guilt, saying... What they did wasn't really wrong. And a lot of people you know, will do these things. Other people try to ignore their guilt by attempting to silence their conscience. Some try to deaden the sound of their guilt by eating, drinking, inhaling, or injecting something to make the pain go away. Some try to compensate for their guilt by doing something good to try to make up for the bad thing that they have done. You know, I think we all at some point, when we reflect back on our lives, we all have flashes of things that we feel guilty about. You know, maybe you misrepresented some financials on a report, or maybe as a student, you were cheating on a test, or even as an adult, cheating. Maybe you had an angry outburst at home, to your spouse or your kids. Or maybe you looked at some sexual perversity on your computer or phone. Or maybe it was something from a long time ago. Maybe you stole some merchandise as a teenager. Or your younger days were filled with heavy drinking and drugs. Or maybe it's you at a time were incarcerated and that's something you want to put in your past and you feel guilty about that. And the list could go on and on and on. I could list up here all day things that we would feel guilty about. Even though maybe you say, Pastor, I've asked for forgiveness. Well, here's what happens. Satan continually brings these things up in your heart, in your mind, to make you feel guilty, put you on that guilt trip. And sometimes it's even when you're sitting in church. You ask yourself, I've asked for forgiveness. Why do I still feel so guilty about this? So today we're going to look at someone who stood guilty before the Lord. 
and whose guilt was removed, and he was restored to a place of blessing. God can and will cleanse us, remove guilt from us, defend us, and he desires to accomplish great things through us. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that. So let's look at how you can be free of the burden of guilt that maybe you have been carrying for years. Before we get to our passage today, let me give you a little background in history. <clears throat> it is very similar time frame to what we were looking at in our last series in Ezra. There was a time in the, in the, the, the children of Israel's history that we looked at that God had allowed them to be delivered into captivity. If you remember, they went were captured by the Babylonians, taken away into captivity for 70 years. And they had come back into the land, rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the city walls. We looked at all of that. And this scene takes place after the Babylonian captivity. Zechariah was the prophet who ministered to Israel during this time frame. Zerubbabel was the governor who carried out all of the civil affairs. And Joshua was the high priest over the spiritual affairs of Israel. And so our text today, it kind of unfolds like a TV court scene, just a little. And we'll kind of unfold that here in just a moment. So we're going to be in, in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then he showed me, Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. So you have here the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord, which we believe that to be Jesus Christ. And it was understood in that time in the Old Testament that in Israel every year the high priest represented the nation of Israel before God on the Day of Atonement. The high priest was the mediator before God. So he stands before the Lord representing the nation. And just imagine this scene with me of the high priest engaging in his high priestly duties of interceding for mercy on behalf of the people of Israel. And the angel of the Lord comes down to answer his plea. But Satan, the sworn enemy of God, is quick to come to the scene and make accusations against God's people. We see here this first part, the disparaging of the priest. In this court scene, we have the prosecuting attorney, which is Satan. We have the defense attorney, which is the angel of the Lord. We have the judge, who is the Lord God of heaven. And we have the accused, which is Joshua, the high priest. The decision is what to do with sinful people whom the high priest represents. What should we do with the sinful people? As the priest Joshua represents the people of God, there is no question, there is no doubt that they are guilty. They are guilty of sin before a holy God, just like there is no doubt that every single one of us sitting in this room today, if we were to stand before God, we would be guilty of our sin. We have all experienced this from Satan. He comes and accuses us of disobeying God. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He stands in God's presence, pointing out to God all of our sins and making accusations against us, just as he did to Joshua on that day. He reminds us of all of the things that we have done. 
And he continually reminds us to keep us in the clutches of that guilt that we feel. And he's not the only one who brings up this in our past. John 16, 8 tells us, speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. But here's the thing. Guilt, regardless of its source, it makes us feel miserable. We feel bad. So what is the difference between the guilt that Satan brings and the guilt that the Holy Spirit brings? The difference is the purpose and the desired result that the two sources have in magnifying our guilt. First of all, we see the deceiver causes harmful guilt. The deceiver, Satan. Satan's purpose in bringing attention to our sin is to make us feel condemned before God, to make us feel that God does not want us. He hopes this will make us feel unloved by God. He wants us to think. And maybe you've had these thoughts before. God does not love me because of what I've done. In fact, I need to stay as far away from God as I can because of my past. He uses this tactic on people to prevent them from ever coming to a saving faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. One of the men that I led to Christ probably about 10 years ago as we were talking through salvation, he said, there's no way that I could ever have salvation because of what I've done. And he had served in the military. He said, Pastor, I have done some terrible things. I said, let me tell you about some people in the Bible, <laughs> mainly the Apostle Paul who murdered the church and God gave him forgiveness and removal of that guilt. If he can do that for Paul, he can do that for you. Satan uses this tactic also on believers in order to keep them weak and to keep them from growing in their relationship with God. He reminds them of sins that they have committed. If you have prayed and asked forgiveness of those sins, you know for certain, because the Bible tells us so, that God has forgiven you. But Satan won't let you forget about it. He keeps you feeling dirty and unworthy of God's love because he does not want you to live a victorious Christian life. That is his goal, to keep you feeling like you are defeated, like there's no hope, like life is in shambles. He wants you to feel condemned, yet God does not want you to feel condemned. It says in John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The only way that we receive condemnation is if we listen to Satan's lies and we refuse God's offer of forgiveness. John goes on to say in the next verse, he says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So we see that the deceiver comes, the deceiver causes harmful guilt but the deliverer provides helpful guilt. God's purpose in bringing our sin to our attention is not to condemn, 
but to convict our hearts. Conviction serves the same function as pain. Neither one is pleasant, but it indicates that something is wrong that we need to get fixed. If your arm is hurting, if you break your arm, you have that pain that tells you something's wrong with my arm. I've got to get to the doctor. I think my arm is broken. When we have that guilt of sin that we have committed, it is an indicator that there's something in our life that we need to get straightened out before God. The Holy Spirit's desire is that when we feel his conviction, we will choose to seek the help of God and not run from him. God is the only one that can take that burden of guilt off of our shoulders. We can try bearing it. We can try denying it. However, we can never get rid of it apart from God. God is the only one that can absolve us of that guilt. And that is his great desire. So run to him. It says in Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. So we see, first of all, the disparaging of the priests. In the next part of this passage, we see the destruction of the perpetrator. It says in verse 2 of Zechariah chapter 3, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. So the devil tried disparaging the priest Joshua, even though he had been guilty, or the children of Israel had been guilty. Who did the Lord rebuke? It wasn't Joshua that he rebuked. He rebuked Satan. He rebuked Satan. Even though we are guilty, we do not have to fear the accusations or the fury of Satan because we have an advocate named Jesus Christ that is there before us to represent us. Jesus the righteous. He is our representative. Satan the perpetrator can roar and he can continually make us feel guilty, but all we have to do is submit to Christ and God will rebuke him and send him fleeing. Besides, the Bible tells us about Satan, doesn't he? The Bible is very clear about Satan and his destruction. We see all the way to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, God tells us that Satan will be destroyed. All the way in the Garden of Eden, we, we find this. Then we see that Satan's defeat on the cross of Calvary. It's said in John, 1 John 3, 8, The devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Our only hope of salvation from the evil one and sin and guilt is the cross of Christ. That is it. From the moment Jesus came from Mary's womb, it was understood that Jesus was here to take away the sin of the world. It was understood that he would defeat Satan and sin. It was understood that man could be free from guilt and once again be re reunited with his God. When Jesus died on the cross, and raised from the dead, for all intents and purposes, Satan became a defeated foe. So at the beginning we see that Satan is defeated. God tells us Satan is defeated. At the cross, Satan is defeated. And at the end of the Bible in Revelation, at the end of the age, God tells us of Satan's defeat. For all 
of eternity. So we see the destruction of the perpetrator. And the last of all, we see the delivering of the people. It says in the verse, The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Notice that it says the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Satan thought he was on solid ground accusing Joshua, the priest representing Israel for all the sins that had led to the downfall of Jerusalem. He thought, surely God's going to listen to me now. These people have rejected God time and time again, but he miscalculated. He didn't take into consideration that God loved the nation of Israel and God loves you despite your sin. Israel had done nothing to deserve God's love, mercy, and grace. We, too, have done nothing to deserve God's goodness. However, it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But notice what God says to Satan about us here. He says, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Fire, of course, is a symbol of punishment. Israel had just been plucked from captivity in the land of Babylon where they are paying the penalty for their disobedience. And God removed them out of captivity, brought them back home to Jerusalem. God removed them from the utter destruction of the flame because of their rejection of God. The great songwriter, theologian, one of the founders of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, he says that he never forgot a terrible night of his childhood. He was only six years old at the time, and he had awakened to find their house on fire. Everyone had been dragged out of the home except him. But in a moment before the roof fell in and crashed upon him, a neighbor climbed in on another's shoulders and pulled him out of the house through a window. Wesley said he kept the picture of that scene in his mind until the day he died. Imagine how traumatic that would be for a six-year-old to think that they were dying in a burning home and be saved in a split second. And he said this scene in his life reminded him of this Zechariah chapter 3 passage. And this is a passage he continually came back to in his life. Is this a brand plucked from the fire? Wesley's experience in being literally saved from the fire was un very unusual. But all of God's people experienced it in a far more important sense. Jesus has rescued you and I from the fires of hell. Through Jesus' death upon a cross, we are too are encouraged to help reach out to others in our world. God saved us from our guilt and from the fires of hell. Look what the delivering of his people does for us. God cleanses us when he saves us from the fire. Verse 3, it says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. The whole reason for Satan's accusations was because of Joshua's impurity. This word filthy here is the strongest expression in the Hebrew language. 
you know, it, the, scholars say even using the word like an extrament would not be strong enough to translate what this word means. The sins of the people were so gross to a holy God that they, God could not allow him to stand in his presence with those filthy garments. No picture can be painted, no human lips can sufficiently describe the hideousness of the sins of the people of God before a holy God. But when all the long and lengthy indictments had been said by Satan to Jesus about the children of God, God said, take away the filthy garments from him. And he went on to say, see, I have removed your iniquity from you. Only a loving and forgiving God could take a people like you and I that are so defiled and still love us. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinning against him, Christ died for us. Man. Yes, we're guilty. Guilty as can be. The removal of filthy garments are symbolic of taking away our sin. This action is the result of forgiveness of sin. Our good God not only cleanses us, but God clothes us as well. Look at this verse 4. I will clothe you with pure vestments. We were dirty, filthy creatures, and when we put our trust in Jesus as our Savior, God reached down and cleaned us up and put a festive robe on us, a robe which represents the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Not only does he clothe us, but he crowns us. Verse 5, and I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. A clean turban completes the attire. This is no ordinary head garment, but it's the type of headdress worn by kings and, and prince and princesses. The high priest wore a turban that had written on it, holy is the Lord. Every person who receives Christ in his life will be made completely holy before God. So the next time you feel beat up because the devil is making you feel guilty about your past, remember God's mercy, God's righteousness has been bestowed to us on the basis of Jesus Christ and his atonement for our sins. Remember that. Christians, don't think it is high time that we quit letting the devil make us into guilty slaves. Isn't it time that we stop letting the devil get victory in our lives after God has already forgiven us of these things? If that guilt is real because of undealt sin in your life, and the only way to get rid of it is to come before God and ask for forgiveness. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, if we confess, if we confess, he is faithful to forgive 
and cleanse. What a great God. I mean, what an awesome God that we serve. So I ask you this morning, as we finish, and you think about the burden of guilt that you are carrying with you in your life, whatever it might be. Maybe it's something that happened this past week, this past month, or years ago. Are you allowing that guilt to cripple your future? Are you allowing Satan to continually come and it's like sticking a finger or a fist into a wound that hurts time and time again? Or we could turn our, our hearts and our lives over to Christ. Are there past sins that are causing you guilt that need to be turned over to the Lord? Are there past sins causing you guilt that you need to turn over to the Lord and ask his forgiveness? If you're sitting here today and you've never accepted Christ, Jesus has already paid for your sins on the cross of Calvary. Confess your sins to him and he will take away every sin, all your guilt, and set you free. It says in Jeremiah 31, 34, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. When God forgives, he says, I will remember no more. God's not like a nagging spouse that keeps bringing up things from the past. God says, I will remember no more. The moment you ask for forgiveness, God forgave you. Now do your part and leave that guilt behind. The next time Satan attacks you with feelings of guilt, Show him the word of God and say, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I love the song by Chris Tomlin. He sings it this way. He says, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. We're forgiven people because Christ died for us. Let's not live with guilt that's been given, forgiven by Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the awesome God that you are. A God who forgives us time and time and time again when we sin against you. God, thank you for loving us despite our sin. Thank you for loving us even though we rebel against you, even though we fail you. You forgive us and remember our sin no more. God, I know that there's hearts today in this room that have been convicted of the guilt of sin in their past. Today, God, I pray in this moment that they would pray and ask you for forgiveness and allow that guilt to leave. 
Lord, if there's someone here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, they've never asked you to forgive them of their sin and to be their Lord and Savior. I pray that today would be their day of salvation. We ask it all in Jesus' name.